Hey, listeners, this is William Sterling, and you're listening to the Killer Mediums podcast, where we talk about all your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. As a warning, this is a very spoiler-heavy podcast, so if you are hoping to dodge spoilers for any of today's major topics, including the Scream movies, the Scream TV shows, or Stephen Graham Jones' My Heart is a Chainsaw, turn back now. But that said, today's topic is meta-horror, and we're joined by guest Shelley Grant. Shelly has longed to be a final girl ever since she saw Carrie light prom on fire, maybe she really just wants to be a villain, at the age of nine. Uh, finding and watching anything horror-related her conservative parents would allow, Shelly fell in love early on with the films of Alfred Hitchcock and, being a good Gen X girl, devoured the books of B.C. Andrews, Christopher Pike, John Saul, and Stephen King. Shelly is now the co-host of two movie-related podcasts, BS Movies Podcast with Brian Haas and Cine Sirens with fellow final girl wannabe Andrea Canals. Let's get spooky! Coroners tied bells to everybody in the morgue, so if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. So Shelly, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Scream is my favorite favorite of the franchises and Sydney's my favorite final girl. So I'm excited to, to talk this over with you and get into the tropes of it all. Yes. Um, I know I went on your BS Movies podcast a while ago to talk about yes. Saw and that's my favorite franchise of all time. Right. So we're, right. We're reciprocating back and forth here. This is yes. Great. Yes. Both of us get to dive into our passion project. Yeah, you were you were great. It was so much fun to talk to uh, Saw with you because I've seen them all, but you really had some insights into those that I, I just really enjoyed. So thank you for joining us for that and happy to be here with you to talk about meta horror. Of course. And I, I gave the short pitch of like who you are and what you're about, but is there anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, do you want to explain to the listeners kind of who you are and kind of your take on everything? <laughs> Yeah, I, like I said, like you said, I'm just a, a Gen X girl that uh, saw Carrie probably a little too young and fell in love with, with horror, but my parents were pretty conservative, so I really couldn't get into horror as much as I wanted to, so uh, the, you know, I had to, like, we would go to the video store on Friday nights and rent movies, and I had to get something PG or PG-13, um, but I found like they were okay with not rated stuff, which was then the classic. So that's where my love of Hitchcock came in. And then, uh, but clocked as I was younger, like some movies I would see in the video store, those great VHS covers, you know, it's like, all right, when I get old enough, I'm renting this movie and I'm going to find out what it's all about. So, uh, so yeah, just then from there, as I got older, love of horror grew. Um, and then finding like-minded people like yourself and then obviously Brian and Andrea, who I do my podcast with, um, were kind of Brian and I, the podcast was born out of, we would get together and go see a movie and then spend like an hour after a movie talking. And I, I, I feel like at this point in our culture, 
if you're white and of a certain age, you just start a podcast at some point. <laughs> so, so that was my pitch to Brian. I'm like, well, you know, I think we're interesting. Let's, let's start a podcast. And so we're um, almost six years into BS movies. And then Andrea and I, um, Andrea is a film programmer here in Phoenix that uh, she and I are, are dear friends. And Andrea really loves um, exploitation and foreign films, older foreign films. The joke with her is if it's over, uh, if it's anything set in the eight or made in the 80s or beyond, she's never seen it because she really, <laughs> especially the 70s. So uh, the premise of Cine Sirens is, as I kind of force her to watch something more modern, she uh, has me watch an exploitation movie and we get together and, and kind of have a discourse about those things. So uh, that's been fun. That one's not as frequent as, as BS movies, but Cine Sirens is really fun. So please, please check that one out. We only have, I think, five episodes available right now. We've been doing that for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I've been I've been keeping up with BS Movies podcast and your yeah. account is so active. Like it seems like y'all watch a movie a night and have some good write up on it. And I've 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 picked up on so many movies that I wouldn't have stumbled across through y'all. Oh, cool, good. If That's anybody's great. like waiting or looking for a for a new podcast to dive into or just looking for a very informed Twitter account to follow. <laughs> Y'all are cutting yeah. in there. Thank you. Yeah, Brian's great. I mean, Brian, and Brian sees more than me during COVID with all these virtual film festivals. He's just done so many of those. And he's, so he's seen a lot of uh, newer stuff that even my list is growing from things that Brian's got to see that I'm like, okay, when's this coming out? I need to see this. So, yeah. <laughs> I know I commented on on one of the movies. I guess it was one of the ones that Brian had watched. Like, oh, this sounded so cool. They described it as Saw meets some sort of, like, I don't remember exactly what movie it was. Or oh, like, right, yeah. I commented something on it. Like, okay, where did you see this? He was like, film festival. It'll come out next year. Yeah. Come on. I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's, it's tough, especially those. But then all of a sudden, sometimes they just, I know, uh, fresh, which is one of my favorite movies of the year. A uh, uh, friend of mine, Teresa, saw it at Sundance and she, like the night she saw it, she texted me and she's like, if you can get a virtual pass to Sundance just for this movie, watch it. And I couldn't, but then it popped up on Hulu like two or three weeks later. And uh, that and X, Ty West X are my favorite movies of the year right now. Have you seen, have you had a chance to watch either of those? I watched X and I'm obsessed with it. Okay. I, yeah. I it's just a fun, like original slasher concept that yeah. doesn't try to it's do too so much great. itself. Like it's 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 awesome. I have not seen Fresh. I've seen it pop up on Hulu over and over and I just haven't taken the plunge yet. Yeah. Is Check it, it out. Is it like a cannibalism movie? Like I, I, I don't want to tell you. Just okay. go in cold. Don't even just just watch it. I mean, it was I, because I went into it pretty cold, and oh, man. We'll talk about it after you watch it, but it's it's awesome. It's awesome. All right. I will do that. Uh, I'll yeah. be I'll be texting you, uh, DMing you on Twitter at, like, midnight. All right. Great. <laughs> oh, That's all right. Anytime. Yep. 
Um, okay, but let's let's go ahead and start diving into kind of the meat of the episode. We've got meta slashers here. So um, before we start talking about Scream specifically, because I do want to start with that, uh, it is it is the Godfather franchise of this entire subgenre. Mm-hmm. What is a meta slasher? So I, I'm assuming the people that are listening to this podcast are probably people from the horror community. So this is probably a little sure. self-explanatory, but for any of the uneducated out there, what is it we're talking about here today? Well, I think when you talk about meta, it's it's something that's very self-aware and self-referential. So it's a movie where your characters are in a world that the movies we know and love exist. So they kind of know and Scream, you know, and we'll get into this. Scream definitely touches on that. Like they've seen movies like Halloween or they've seen Psycho. And so they know there's certain tropes and certain rules. And so I think it's really interesting um, when movies do that, that they're sort of aware of this. And like, if you compare this, when you're talking about like Wes Craven, you look at something like Nightmare on Elm Street where the characters don't know they're in a horror movie. You know, there's just something going on, but then you get to scream and the whole premise is is they know they're somehow weirdly in a horror movie or that something horrific is happening. Um, And obviously Nightmare 2, but they also have this reference of, well, this is like, you know, of course, obviously Randy being the guide for us of telling us, but this is happening. And I think you see that in horror a lot. Um, One of the characters I thought of when I was thinking about this is Marty from Cabin in the Woods. Yes. You know, where he, I mean, he spends that whole movie like, guys, like, this isn't right. And, you know, nobody's paying attention to him because he's just the silly stoner dude. Right. But, like, one of my favorite lines in movies is when they're in the basement. He's like, I draw the line at reading the Latin out loud. (laughs) <laughs> because I know as a horror fan if I'm ever in that sense like you don't read Latin out loud you don't know what you're going to conjure up we're not going to find you know the 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 uh evil dead skin book necronom you know yeah, right. <laughs> to start reading things out of it that's just silly um so yeah I think uh, meta just means that it's not always breaking the fourth wall, although I think some movies do that and do that really well. Uh, but it is just this sort of awareness of I'm in a horror movie. I'm in something I've seen in popular culture. Right. So uh, I know there are movies that did this before Scream, but Scream mm-hmm. was the first big blockbuster movie that made this sort of an approach commonplace Mm -hmm. i guess um but such a fun concept because as horror movie fans this is something that we do like we'll watch a horror movie and then we'll go through and we'll talk with all of our friends about like okay Mm -hmm. what you have done in that situation or you'll be yelling at the screen in the middle of the movie don't go in the basement right (laughs) right and and i love the meta horror genre because it invites that to be part of the movie also it feels yes uh it it feels almost like you're part of the movie yourself because you're seeing all of your thoughts played out on screen through these characters. You don't have the dumb ones running off on their own or going into the garage to get, to get beers for everybody in the middle of a killer fest. And right. Right. All of your thoughts kind of go along with that, but something else that's kind of weird about this that I don't know, maybe we want to talk about for a second. 
Sure. It, horror feels like one of the only genres to really dip into this. Like we get a couple of movies here and there that are self-aware or we get a stranger than fiction movie with Will Ferrell mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. narrator, but this doesn't feel like it's really, it's really grown legs anywhere else. Like it has in, in the horror genre. So do you think, why would that be? Why wouldn't comedies start playing off this more? Why wouldn't this become more of a staple for action movies? Well, I think, I think the nature of horror and, and horror fans, like you just said, because we watch a horror movie and then we all get together and are like, well, if it was me, I would do this or I would do this. You know, you have, I think horror just has sort of this very passionate base of fans. Um, and I know other genres do too. I mean, obviously like sci-fi, but there's, I think it's still different. So I think horror too, I think we get really excited when we notice Easter eggs. You know, I mean, like how many things have you seen on Twitter or social media about like the newest season of Stranger Things and everybody's like, oh, there's an homage to Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, did you see this thing from Psycho? Oh, did you see that? You know, all those little Easter eggs that I think horror we really love. I think comedy touches on it sometimes and if it's done well I think it's funny I think like um a recent example that uh the unbearable weight of massive talent the Nick Cage movie where he plays sort of the heightened version of himself um which is really funny um I think that plays into the meta thing a little bit uh, but I feel like horror, I think we're just sort of more accepting of it too. Like you go into a horror movie, you're already suspending your disbelief a little bit, you know, that it's perfectly reasonable us that in Jason X, Jason was frozen and went was shot into space 200 years in the future or whatever it was and came back and still wanted to kill teenagers. Like, you know, so I think we just sort of, accept that a little more where in other genres um it it doesn't happen quite as much I mean it would be wouldn't it be awesome to see like a fast and furious movie that finally makes fun of the the physics of it all that none of those cars can do any of the things that happen in those movies (laughs) no no you're not Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, what do you think? I, th- I think that's the reason is I think horror, just the fan base sort of allows for this to happen. Yeah, I, I think that's a lot of it. Like, I, uh, I'm trying to think of how to say this without making anybody mad, but screw it. I'm just going to make some people mad. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think with other genres, you don't get as deep of a commitment to that style of movie as you do with horror like an action Mm -hmm. fan can be Mm -hmm. a very casual action fan like most people that are going to go let's say the fast and furious movies um that they're not they're not on blogs talking about the fast and the furious movies they're not coming Mm -hmm. conspiracy theories about like oh what if hobbs is secretly shaw's sister like anything like that yeah (laughs) like our communities um do go into those deep dives very often mm-hmm. it's almost mm-hmm. we get a movie without some sort of big discourse um happening on twitter on instagram on everything else right the, right or the plot holes and like we we do all this other nonsense um we, right if you are a horror fan you are you are in it a lot of times 
Um, whereas I think the other genres maybe lend themselves to more casual fanship. So when so when you get super into the genre like that, you start noticing the rules that that transcend across mm-hmm. the like in a genre like the slashers. Um, you know, right. don't go out alone because every single time somebody walks out alone in a slasher movie, they're gone. Never ever right. per se, I'll be right back. Because we've watched right. different horror movies and we know every time the character says that, they will not be right back. Um, yeah, it's like wearing the red shirt in Star Trek. Like you're you're dead. Exactly. So I think that's that's kind of where we're, we see the depth I'm talking about in the sci-fi movies. So like Star mm-hmm. Wars fans get like that and Star Trek fans get like that. And they're kind of notorious mm-hmm. for it, digging into all the details. Um whereas other sci-fi properties, maybe not as much. I don't know. Right. But I think sci-fi, this will piss people people off. Like they're they're so serious about it where I think in horror, we have a little bit more of a sense of humor about it, which allows for the meta stuff. Like we know it's sort of silly and we're willing to make fun of it where uh, sci fandom seems to uh, be a little more serious about their conspiracies. And I, yeah, from, and their exposure to the sci-fi world. I, I think you're right. Yeah, or at least that's my. Take. Yeah, my my husband's a, a Star Trek fan, so he he takes this more seriously than I'm very silly about my horror stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's let's get into Scream finally. So starting off with the movies. So with with this podcast, we we're trying to talk about how how these tropes manifest across multiple different mediums. So we'll talk about all the movies together first. And then I think we mm-hmm. should talk about the whole TV series together. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about the book at the end. We'll, we'll hit it. Okay. Not chronologically, but, uh, but mediumly. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fine. Tell me about your first time yeah. watching Scream. And I know you love this movie. What makes it yes. stand out so much? Um, and we can talk about just Scream or we can talk about all five of them collectively, however you want to approach mm-hmm. it. Well, I want to say something before we dive into it. I want to talk about Wes Craven a little bit because he is, um, I think he's obviously one of the masters of horror and, and um you know, I know Carpenter's got his fandom and Remy has his. Craven is my favorite of, of those directors. And I obviously have Carpenter films as well and Remy films. And But um, Craven really um, speaks to me. Craven and I both grew up in sort of very conservative evangelical homes. So a lot of our Uh, some of our formative years we weren't allowed to see certain properties and so then Craven talked a lot you know as he got older when he got into college and taking philosophy classes and uh, wanted to become a filmmaker and actually was a uh, made softcore porn films early on in his career before uh, the last house on the left and I feel like Craven like you look at his work in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, he did something a little different um, that really changed the genre. So like in the 70s, you have The Hills Have Eyes and like I mentioned, Last House on the Left that kind of bring this um, grittiness and graininess to horror. And obviously Toby Hooper did it at the same time with uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
And I think that's in response to the stuff that was happening in America in the 70s. You know, they're seeing this violence from the Vietnam War. Uh, you know, we're at like the 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in as we're recording this, you know, and so there begins this mistrust of the government. And so I think those movies kind of put a spotlight on uh, sort of people trying to make sense of the horror they're seeing at home in like this way, you know, and then the 80s, he really helps push the slasher genre to the forefront with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street right. and Freddy and then you know the 90s we get Scream and of course he does other things and you've got the Craven deep cuts that you know we won't get into so I think Craven I've always just been really drawn to because of the similar background because the first time I saw Scream I had yeah I mentioned you know you mentioned my conservative parents before there was a time for about 10 years, we belonged to a church where we weren't allowed to watch TV or movies. And so I kind of missed out. And those were like during my teen years. So I sort of missed out on getting to go to slumber parties and watch slasher movies, even though I had this love of horror, but I was only getting it fed through reading books of, you know, B.C. Andrews, Christopher Pike, Stephen King, John Saul, um, that when I left that church in, I left in 1999. So this was three years after Scream came out. Scream came out in 96. Um, one of the first movies I rented was Scream. But I was also sort of in this state of, you know, I had been in this church for 10 years. So then you're kind of going through like the, oh no, am I, going to go to hell now I'm watching this thing and I haven't been allowed to watch this for so long and the character of Sydney and this is why she's my favorite final girl just really resonated with me because as I'm watching Sydney go through everything she's going through and scream I'm kind of relating it to what's going on with me personally and I'm like well Sydney survived this I'm gonna be okay and so um this is why I I defend horror and art and and stuff is that you never know how something like this is going to impact somebody you know for you know it's a it's a silly slasher movie I get that but seeing that at that point in my life helped kind of save me and know I was going to be okay and um and then yeah I just so that was 99 so then obviously watch screen two at like the same time and um three came out in 2000. So that was the first one I got to see on a big screen. Um, so I do have a, a more of a love for three than most people. Three tends to be the one people kind of are like, eh. That's, that's where I am. <laughs> that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I get it and, and we'll go into that. But yeah, so seeing Scream for that first time at sort of that point in my life, just really, uh, I've just really clung to that. And I have a really good friend. She doesn't like Sydney. She thinks Sydney's really whiny and she has another final girl. And I, I get all that, but yeah, Sydney just hit and, and seeing screen kind of hit at the, at the right time for me. Awesome. That's, that is a great story. Um, we we're going to have an episode sometime in season one. I don't know what order these are all coming out in quite yet, but yeah. we're going to have a horror for kids episode um and nice. started talking to um 
Trevor, Trevor Williamson, I think his name is a little bit about Mm -hmm. why horror is so important for kids in your formative years, like having that safe Mm -hmm. space to grapple with those, those Mm -hmm. your story is kind of a fun counterpoint to that where you weren't, you weren't allowed to watch horror until right at one certain point. So, um, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm yeah. glad you got your access to screen though. <laughs> I did too. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. If they could see me now. Um, so I think, so yeah, so scream. And then of course, Craven gives us like in 94 with new nightmare. I think he kind of tees up screen for us. Yes. In new nightmare. Cause obviously that's the one where they're making, the movie within the movie they're being haunted by what seems to be freddy but it's not freddy it's this demonic force that's using freddy as the vehicle and so um yeah it really um i think if you love scream watch new nightmare because i feel like it's a good precursor to allowing scream to happen for sure right he's kind of toying around with that self-awareness for mm-hmm. the first time and letting characters yeah know- that there's some connection here and and then he goes full into it with scream right right um okay so we we've kind of talked about scream one a little bit but yeah yeah we can dig into it more i was just more sharing my story (laughs) and um so with the first scream movie um we, we've got this full immersion into these characters absolutely know they're in a horror movie. Uh, and this is mostly mm-hmm. kind of spearheaded by Randy. Uh, the character mm-hmm. Randy has seen all these horror movies. He works in a video store. Um, he's obsessed. And right before the big bloodbath of the movie, they're in that, uh, I think it's Sydney's house. Um, mm-hmm. They're in the house having this big party, watching Halloween in the background, which I think is just perfect. Uh, yeah. he starts explaining the rules so what are the rules for a slasher movie uh as you remember them oh gosh and i watched all five this week in press um well it's the party at Stu's house at the end Stu's house so they're not at sydney yeah they're at Stu's house so it's um don't drink or no you can never have sex don't drink or do drugs never say you'll be right back I think there's five, right? There were. Oh my gosh, now I feel awful. Where you are too. <laughs> oh no, I need to go look these up. I asked the question. Oh man. The answer. <laughs> oh man, we are going to get so much hate now. There, yeah, <laughs> there's somebody screaming at their, uh, whatever they're listening to the podcast on right now, like just screaming the rules at us. And like, okay. you, you, right. you like this no. movie. <laughs> Did you buy them? <laughs> You can never drink or do drugs and never, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. So we had them. We were good. Oh, we got them. <laughs> we, were about the All right. we had the, we had the rules. Okay. Right. It's just those, just those top three. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, with, with this first movie, then uh, it's kind of revolutionary because we've got Sydney and we've got Courtney Cox's character coming in. We've got Dewey and we've got all of these franchise characters that are going to really lead mm-hmm. the charge through the next five movies, um, at least. And we'll we'll get to the drama surrounding six in just a minute, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but 
you you talked about how Sydney spoke to you already. Um, it, are there any other standout characters in this movie for you? Are there any other characters that uh, really spoke to you, or you've got some connection with? Or well, I I don't know if it's a connection. I think it. I really love the choice that he makes to kill Casey off in that first act. It's very reminiscent of Psycho to me, which Psycho is one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, but the promotional materials all had Drew Barrymore as like the lead. So, you know, the fact that it turns out to be Nev Campbell is a bit of a, a you know, a misdirect um, that I think was genius on the marketing stuff because, you know, the screen poster, we all know of just the girl's eyes and, you know, covering her mouth, that's Drew Barrymore. So, and Drew Barrymore is the biggest name in the movie when, you know, when it comes out in 96. So the fact that within the first 10 minutes, she's already gone. You know, I, I love when filmmakers do that to us as an audience, because then you don't feel safe. You don't know what's going to happen. And uh, I think that's, I think that's a really interesting choice. And so I think that also, you know, because at that point in the 90s, the slasher genre had really sort of just tailed off from its heyday and this just really reinvigorates everything because it's something fresh it's new uh there's still some familiarity you know like I said obviously that opening is very um reminiscent of Psycho where you know everybody thought Janet Lee was the main character and 45 minutes into Psycho she's gone um so and you're left with Norman who now he who became the villain you know of, of that movie and so who who am I supposed to root for now I'm in this movie where I'm rooting for the villain and so I, I think in Scream 1 I think Casey that character is just really interesting that that's the the choice that was made that I think makes it sort of the success because without that I don't think you get the rest and then um I do love Randy. I, I like I like Randy as sort of the stand-in for all of us. That is, you know, now we've got a character that's like the rest of us, just telling everybody, like, okay, you gotta listen to me. <laughs> and I know we'll get into that when we talk about My Heart is a Chainsaw, where that's the Jade character in My Heart is a Chainsaw, where she's also running around being like, Hey, uh, I know what's going on here. <laughs> Somebody listen. <laughs> I, I love having those characters in these in these movies and these shows and these books mm -hmm. because they're one they're the character that we can connect to the most like be, being these big horror fans and two they are absolutely the characters that people should be listening to but nobody's listening to them but they right. never come across as the hero character until Stephen right. Graham is my heart as a chainsaw. And even then yeah. it's kind of a little bit controversial and she's not even sure herself if she's supposed to be the hero character. Uh, it, right. it plays around with that a lot, but having this mm -hmm. side character be, be the person that we're all latching onto, I think is really interesting because it does leave the door open for anybody else could die in this thing. Mm -hmm. um, the character that you're maybe the most invested in isn't the main character the main character mm -hmm. is always going to be the safe one in the slasher movie but who's mm -hmm. the main character here we follow sydney the most but that dewey also gets a ton of screen time and gail weathers also gets a ton yeah of screen, 
screen time. Yeah, well, because in the screen franchise, yeah, you have those three as your as your as your main sort of uh, core to to everything that that's happening. So uh, you kind of you kind of get to pick then who who your person's gonna be. Yes, and then uh, I guess we can go ahead and fast forward then to Scream Five, where after after four movies of kind of teasing and coming in and maybe mm-hmm. one is going to die mm-hmm. maybe the trifecta is going to fall finally they finally took one of them out um, right i guess three characters can only dodge so many bullets or knives uh, yeah and and dewey drops how how did you feel about that kill that that made me really sad. I, I admit I got like I went and saw it opening night and was pretty misty <laughs> when when Dewey died. Um, because I think Dewey becomes really kind of a tragic character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the first one, he's sort of the the doofy bumbling sort of Barney Fife-ish as Gail puts it in her book as we get we learn in Scream 2 um but then he becomes the hero and and helps save them with you know Sydney and Gail and and as it progresses and then by the time you know he and Gail have their relationship and you know three sort of ends on that hopeful note that they're they become engaged and they're going to be together and then four they're married but now in five it obviously didn't work out they're divorced he's lost his job and lost a lot of his purpose and um Dewey seems to then not know what to do unless he has sort of Sydney and Gail around him and you know um and so it's really sad and I thought in five too I thought it was interesting that None of the movie, you know, Tatum in one is his sister. Right. But they never really mention Tatum after she's killed at the party. You know, she's Sydney's best friend. She, you know, Dewey's little sister. It's never really mentioned. It it kind of gets a passing reference, I think, in three. Um and so in five, though, it was nice. They had a box with Tatum's name on it. It was obviously like her ashes. Um, so there was at least a little reference to that. And so Dewey just to me became very sad. And then when he dies in five, it was really sad. But I also felt like, I was like, dude, why did you go back? Like it's all of a sudden he was like, oh yeah, I got to shoot him in the head. And he goes back and like, it's a great shot. Like, you know, when he like empties the bullets and he's pulling out the bullets and stuff and they kind of pan up him. I, I think that shot's really cool, but I'm like, oh man, dude, just just go. <laughs> How about you? What do you think of that? I, so I kind of came into this movie assuming one of the big three was going to go because like yeah. I said, you can only drag that out so long without... Mm-hmm with our mm-hmm. suspension or with our uh disbelief suspended like at at some point this killer that's been gunning for the three of them this whole time or these killers uh i guess um it, somebody's gonna take a knife and i just did mm-hmm. not want it to be him because yeah like, he's had such a tragic 
mm-hmm. movies. Like anytime he gets something good to happen, something bad immediately seems to follow. Right. He gets Courtney right. Cox to fall for him. He gets Gail Weathers to fall for him. And then, oh, beginning of the next movie, something bad happens. She's gone. Right. Um, right. And then, it, then he gets her back and okay, scream four, things are good. And she's gone again. Like, you, you, right. It's this really unfortunate rhythm to his character. And I was hoping mm-hmm. he had some genuine comeuppance. But then they right. see the trailer and they see him kind of without a purpose, like you were saying. And just from that mm-hmm. movie, it was like, oh no, it's going to be him. Yeah. Um, but I love that he down. nailed it like nailed who the killer was from the get-go because even I like going into the movie I'm like okay it's obviously the Jack Quaid character Mm -hmm. you know I'm like he's he's in on this somehow because he was like oh I've never seen stab movies I'm like "Eh." you know (laughs) yeah and um so you know Dewey just calling it from the get-go and you know uh Jack Quaid calling him shitty Sam Elliott which I thought was one of the funniest lines I've ever heard because I have so much love for Sam Elliott but him calling uh Dewey shitty Sam Elliott just really made me laugh <laughs> um so okay uh, I'm looking these up so I make sure I don't mess up the names um yeah. we've got we've got Jack Quaid's character um who is who is the killer and like mm-hmm. you kind of projected that early on and then they had amber as the other character as the other killer mm-hmm. killer again woo um, yeah but i didn't i didn't think they did a very good job of veiling who the killers were because my wife who doesn't really watch these movies like she's seen them all with me but she doesn't get into them like i do um mm-hmm. she leaned over to me about 20 minutes in was like amber's the killer like she's she's so creepy <laughs> like yeah just the way her character played out was like something's clearly off about her and then you've got right. the Wade character i i was a little bit disappointed in the reveal at the end um, mm-hmm. of who it was i thought the logic driving it was amazing and meta mm-hmm. um the, yeah. the fans of the stab franchise and the fans like trying to commandeer um, the the franchise for their own purposes. I, I think taking that angle on it, especially in uh, uh, a time period where we've got such toxic fandoms popping up all over the place. Sure, sure. But I yeah. wish you would have hidden who was behind it a little bit better. Yeah, because if you look back, like even, well, I feel like all of them, you know, you kind of get these hints sort of early on who the killers are. And then they give you sort of enough red hearings that you kind of second guess yourself, or at least I did. You know, I mean, obviously in one, Billy shows up at her house right after she's attacked by Ghostface, um, you know, and drops a cell phone and gets arrested. I mean, those are all sort of the, the clues that he's it. And then it spends the rest of the movie trying to convince you it's not Billy. Right. You know, and kind of dropping that, oh, well, maybe it's, you know, the sheriff, maybe, you know, because there's a scene like they focus on the sheriff's boots and then we've just seen the boots on Ghostface or, you know, that maybe it's Randy, maybe, you know, they kind of just try to um, circumvent that, that it's still a cool reveal when it is revealed to be Billy and Stu, 
you know, that now, and this is what I feel like sets Scream apart too from all of the other franchises. Like, you know, when you go to a Friday 13th, it's, it's going to be Jason. Right. You know, the first one's a mystery when it turns out to be Mrs. Voorhees, who's a character that like shows up at the end. You don't even get a chance to figure out how, who the killer is. She just appears and she's the killer, you know. But after that, you know it's going to be Jason. Um, it's always going to be Michael Myers in uh, in Halloween. It's always Chucky. It's always, you know, even Jigsaw, you know. Um, it's him or his apprentices, but he's the one that sort of orchestrated this. So you kind of, they're not, um, the Scream franchise, it's a mystery every time who the killer is going to be. And I, I like that. I also like that. I think that's, part of the fun of it is trying to figure out who the killer is um which which sets it apart like i said you know you go to a halloween movie you know it's michael right <laughs> you or, know. or the cult of thorn or, <laughs> or the cult of thorn yes <laughs> um yeah oh, gotcha. thank, thank goodness for that you know but but then i like in each movie too you know it's billy and Stu. they have these motivations then you know, in Scream 2, which is my favorite of the franchise. I love Scream 2. Um, you know, or as, as uh, Brian calls it, Scream goes to college. <laughs> say, say, screamed by the bell, the college years. Um, but it follows like Randy gives us that. Okay, we're in a sequel. There's going to be more gore. There's going to be more brutal kills and I mean poor Randy that kill Randy gets in screen two is maybe well it's one of the goriest of the franchise like you know when they open that van and it's just blood everywhere um but I think but then that way yeah yeah I mean yeah (laughs) R.I.P. Randy um If I have to go, yeah, and uh, and the reveal of those killers, I think, are are cool. Like you, you have Mickey, the Timothy Oliphant character, um, who is kind of creepy, you know, and and even Randy mentions him as one of the killers early on. That maybe it's Mickey, you know, and then by the time you get in Scream Two, the final showdown at the at the college in the theater and Derek Sidney's boyfriend played by Jerry O'Connell uh who has been a lifelong crush of mine so this you, is you just made the the hand over your heart I love yes it. yes it's <laughs> Jerry and I have the same reaction every time you mention Timothy Oliphant so it's like <laughs> yeah no no and Timothy Oliphant is definitely like my uh my hall pass i mean i know he's married to his college sweetheart but you know all right that's that's fine. It's a very yeah. easy movie to look at yeah <laughs> and uh um uh, you know so Dar- jerry o'connell who plays Derek sydney's boyfriend you know he uh has been very supportive through all this he has like his great top gun moment with i think i love you and the the cafeteria and um opposite of Billy you know so he's okay and then when we get to this final act in the theater and Mickey kind of you know to try to throw Sydney off is like no it's okay Derek we got her it's fine 
you know, and Sydney has this moment of like, oh no, it's happened again. Right. You know, and, and you're kind of in, it's like, well, yeah, before, and we know Mickey and Derek are friends. They've kind of been hanging out the whole movie. So you kind of start to buy in that, well, yeah, he's got to have a partner. It's got to be somebody. Maybe it is Derek. And then it's not. And it's revealed to be this reporter who's been on the fringes sort of the whole movie, who then is revealed to be Billy's mom. And this is a plot of revenge that then calls back to the first movie, I think is just really interesting. And I like the um, addition of Cotton, who was introduced to us very briefly in part one is the man Sydney falsely accused of killing her mom. Uh, and then you get more of Cotton, who's just sort of a media whore and just wants attention. He was falsely accused, and now he wants his payment. <laughs> um, you know, he uh, he gets that finally. And then, of course, poor Dewey gets shish kebab again and just is passed out for most of the final act. Um, but I also think in this one. Um, if you don't mind, if we can talk about the relationship between Sydney and Gail. Of course, yes. Because I think, you know, obviously in the first one, Gail is the reporter that's reported on Sydney's mom's murder and has said, you know, Sydney falsely accused Cotton and now she's back in Woodsboro to investigate the murders that are happening and they don't really get along, obviously. And then by the end, they kind of help save each other in figuring this out. But there's still, you know, obviously when two starts and Gail's back for now this round of murders, you know, there's still a little bit of like, they don't like each other, but they wind up continuing to be in each other's orbit because of this connection uh, of this awful thing. And I feel like, at the end of two, when they kill um, Mickey and, and Mrs. Loomis, you know, there's more of like, all right, we're, we're kind of stuck together. We're, we're going to be this, this team. Sure. Uh, but it's also, obviously, I, I never feel like, actually, maybe until five, that they actually like each other they kind of tolerate each other they know they need the other to save each other but even in three you know Sydney's like okay great now I got to deal with Gail again <laughs> you don't have to deal with Gail in three you have to deal with Gail and you have to get to deal with the actress that's playing Gail who is equally as frustrating yeah yeah um Parker Posey as uh, yeah, yeah, as uh, as as Jennifer, who's playing Gail in the Stab movies, who Parker Posey, I think, it, I think she's such a great comedic actress, and I think she makes Scream Three kind of a comedy almost. Like I feel like I, like I said, I watched all five this week, kind of prepping for this, and uh, that one, I three is definitely the funniest. Yes, of the franchise. Because it just becomes very sort of slapsticky, and it in part because I think of the Parker Posey character. And um, the, the scene where yeah. Fisher shows up and makes fun of herself. Oh man, it's just great. Uh, I feel like so great. back to the theme of the episode for a second. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I don't love Scream 3 very much. It's, it is the low bar okay. totem pole for me. I think when you're blowing up buildings and shooting at Ghostface, like we've lost a little bit of it. But mm-hmm. I do think 3 is clearly the most meta slasher of all the meta slashers here. Because in the other movies, sure. references to the rules and stuff like that. But that is the entire movie here. They are making a movie of the movie and trying to like navigate through the set of Woodsboro. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there are just so many winks and nods to what they're doing there. Um, yeah, because I think in, in three, you know, now you're a few years past this. You've got the... The murders have happened at, in Woodsboro. The murders have happened in, in the college. And it's become sort of this own franchise that's been based on these true events. And um, yeah, it, it becomes very much that movie within a movie. And like, you, you know, like we just mentioned, you have Parker Posey, who's playing Gail, who's sort of partnering up with, with Gail. Um, you have the... Uh, uh, Kenny, who is the Randy homage, you know, the young black actor. You have the guy who's sort of the, uh, I think his name's Tom. He's the Dewey character who is sort of the heartthrob. And then, you know, you have the girl playing Sydney, who's the young ingenue who has come to Hollywood to beat out girls to, you know. So, yeah, it, it definitely gets very, um, meta with the winks and nods and that one's different because you only have one killer right in part three um and like we get the the cameo of randy on the videotape to kind of explain what these newer rules are going to be because now part three has become the trilogy and so now things are going to be a little bit different and as Randy says, you know, the past isn't the past. It's going to go back to something that maybe before we don't know. An unexpected backstory, I think, is what Randy calls it. Um, and that's where you get the Roman, who's the killer, is Sydney's half-brother because her mom had gone to Hollywood, had gotten pregnant, um, and had a had a kid, gave him up, and then he found her, tried to have a relationship with her. She didn't want that. So he then kind of directs and orchestrates the killing of Maureen and then the events of Scream, um, which I think is interesting. That's, uh, you know, I, I, I like it for that. But like you said, that's definitely the most meta where you're just really getting a lot of, <laughs> we're getting a lot um in in three uh to let us know that we are well grounded in a movie within a movie um yes which we'll talk about when we get to four too i think has got some interesting thoughts on that as well yeah um so with three that motivation aspect of it uh as we were talking earlier i was thinking that might be the most interesting part of the reveals here not necessarily who's doing the kills even though that's always fun too mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. uh in the mm-hmm. it's because it was fun and that's just such a yeah. fantastic reasoning for the killings like we don't need a right. we're making a movie here but, and it's fun. right um, right and two you've got the revenge uh the revenge factor uh for one mm-hmm. 
in four, they're trying to get Insta famous, so we can dive into that. And right. Just, and then five, and right. Ends trying to trying to take on the franchise. Yeah. But then in three, well, and then the long lost brother, like, oh, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and two, I I liked the commentary in two with Mickey being the killer of him wanting to go to trial because this is sort of in this post OJ world where he's like, I'm going to be famous because this trial, like, he's not what he's done, the crimes, the murders he's committing is incidental. He wants to become famous through or infamous and have this like trial you know because now it's this time like i said it's post oj and sort of court tv has become a thing where people are just watching these things it's you know like he says in the movie it's like theater people are dying for it um so i just thought that was an interesting motivation but yeah roman as her half brother and then you know, this is also pre me too. My husband and I were talking about this after we watched three of, you know, obviously they talked about Sydney's mom wound up being, Roman was conceived out of a gang rape at a house because she was trying to get parts and was expected to sleep with men. And it turned very violent. And, you know, it's interesting now seeing stuff like that in this post me too world where, um you know when me too happened and all of those things were coming out it was like well yeah this has always sort of been a thing in hollywood right like that's always is it does not make it right but i i i think there was part of me during the me too movement where i was like yeah this has been a thing like did people not realize this did they (laughs) right and um you know, and I felt the same with like the college entrance stuff with with some celebrities that happened a couple of years ago, where people were just so shocked that, you know, rich people were paying to get their kids into better colleges. I'm like, that's that's always been a thing, right? It, it, and again, not making it right. But uh, I just think it's interesting now seeing older stuff that references things like the casting couch, that I'm like, well, yeah, no, we we knew this was happening um i i we knew it was indignant didn't want to confront yeah. it until right until, right which yeah and then it yeah like confronting this stuff um, right <laughs> it was so so apparent and so visible that isn't scream 3 a weinstein movie of all yeah yeah so it's mirror it's, it's mirror max yeah uh no, I I had a friend here in Phoenix, like after the 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 stuff came out with Weinstein, like she uh and this is the struggle with this stuff, right? Like she was like, I don't think I can watch Miramax or Weinstein Company movies anymore. And I'm like, oh well, we're we're gonna be losing a lot. Like, you know, and yeah. that's her conviction and I, I respect her stance, but yeah, it does become I, I struggle with this. It becomes very challenging with media that we love. And then, you know, the people behind it are, are shitty. <laughs> you know? but, there's a hard yeah. line to draw between art and artist. And yes. especially yeah. in something like this, where so many good people had their, like, mm-hmm. creating it. Like, Weinstein's a slug of a human being. Like, uh, But there were so many people, like, in the actual production, making something that they cared about, making something that they wanted to get out there like 
that. Mm -hmm. it, I feel like it's different when you've got a musician that turns out to be a heel of a human being and you don't buy their, their, their the guitar player on that record and you can just yeah. brush them aside forever. Right, right. Yeah, it's tough. All right, but now I guess that brings us up to four, right? That's yeah. 10 years after... Um, now I didn't ask you this earlier. Like, what is your rank of the movies? Do you have a rank of the screen franchise? Yes. Okay, we can do this. And again, right. this is this is moment number two that I'm gonna make everybody mad on this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> number one is the tops for me. Uh I don't know okay. if anything's ever gonna touch it. Um, just because right. I loved how unique and original it was. And I saw these in order. So Okay. Okay came out it it set the stage for everything to follow for me sure. so that's the that's the top for me then i love four um okay unabashedly um okay or two part of that is probably hayden panettiere's fault kirby is kirby is a fantastic character um and yeah. the fact that she's coming back for six supposedly i'm just i'm beside myself but I, I think that's fun. I think I think Roberts's character uh, and the motivation for her as a killer is really unique. Mm -hmm. Really brought Scream up to the modern time period for the, for a modern audience in a way that the others mm -hmm. maybe don't land quite the same anymore. But any teenager that's watching Scream Four nowadays is on social media. They're aware of all mm -hmm. the people mm -hmm. when when Roberts reveals. That's her motivation. I I, I want to be the superstar. Connects at a creepy level with some people. Like I'm a high school teacher and I know those kids in class. Sure. <laughs> I, I don't want to run into them with a knife after they've seen this movie because, you know, they might. Right. <laughs> but then, right. then I think I go, then I think I go two, five, three. Okay. How about you? That's fair. Well, like I said, two, two is my favorite mainly because of the eye candy of Jerry O'Connell and, and, and uh, Timothy Oliphant. Uh, but also I just, I, I kind of like the progression of Sydney and now Sydney's been through this awful thing and like, how do I continue life and, and college? And the, but then also this thing's happening or has happened to me and I've still am dealing with some of this trauma. I think it's really interesting. And then I would go one, obviously, um, like I mentioned, I do love three and three, then it goes three, four, five, and they all become kind of interchangeable depending okay. on my mood. Cause we'll, we'll get, we're getting ready to talk about four here. So, um, I do have a love of, of all of them, you know, it's not as clear as like some of the other franchises like Friday the 13th or, or, uh, the Halloween franchise where it's like, I really like, I love the original Halloween and I love H2O and then the rest are okay but one and H2O I feel like are the most rewatchable and probably in large part H2O because that's almost sort of Michael meets Scream it, yes. it's a little meta you know um with some of the winks and nods in, in H2O Friday the 13th I really love like parts two and three like that first one one through three but then jason x has got like two of my favorite kills in the whole series so <laughs> uh, uh, okay so the flash frozen face has got to be one yes 
yes. Well, and the uh, the sleeping bag one yes. when okay, he's like, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when he's at the uh, like he has the like vision or whatever it is, the hologram of the camp, and he just like takes that girl and just like, <laughs> you know, uh, because is it? Oh God, is it part? Five, where it's not even Jason, it's like the Roy, the EMT, who is like possessed, or I, oh, I can't remember. Oh God, I'm gonna get so much shit for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I've, I revealed this on our Cabin in the Woods episode, so I'll go ahead and say it now too. After three, yeah. all of the Friday the Thirteenth movies are the same to me. They, they all just kind of bleed together, yeah. and I know they've got different locations. Like Jason takes Manhattan. Yeah. Um, but they yeah, all yeah. just kind of lump together so much that I don't care to go through and sort out which was which. Yeah, I I think it's five. I think it's um like the it's before he goes to Manhattan, so it's like the new. I think it's the new chapter that it's like a, a guy who basically gets possessed by Jason, in, and so it's really not Jason committing the killing. So, but that's not what this episode's about. We're now let's talk about Spring Four. <laughs> Sydney's Sydney's back. She thought she was out. She's back. Back in. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah, because I liked I I admittedly I was a little apprehensive because they established so well in three, like this was gonna be a trilogy Mm -hmm. that when they said announced they were gonna do part four, I was like, yeah. And then, you know, Craven directed it. It was the last movie he directed before he passed away. Um, so I'm like, all right, Craven's back in. So that means, well, <laughs> either he needs money or <laughs> he liked the story enough that it sort of made sense. And I do like for that now it comes at a time, the meta-ness of four is it's a post-stab world. Yes. So now you have these teenagers that have grown up on these meta horror movies and the rules are no longer the same you know it doesn't matter the the don't drink don't do drugs don't uh, you know don't have sex uh don't say you won't be back um are now kind of gone there's these other rules and so i like that four sort of revamps and um kind of ups the game and brings it back into the modern time so like you mentioned the the teenagers going around just filming everything which is definitely uh become a thing of the younger generation of of the idea of if if i don't if i don't have documentation of it it didn't happen if i don't have a photo of it if i don't have a video then it this this it's it's like it didn't happen and so this documentation of their every moment um I just, I really like that. Kirby's a great character. Like we said, we'll get into more in a minute. But I also, I do really love the opening of four with the fake outs. Yes. It's with the fake, like. Stab. Like we're. we're yeah, it's like. The stab movies. Right, right. That it's like that first opening that you think, which is opening like all the other screen movies have opened. You know, it's that's really the beginning of Stab Six. The next one's the beginning of Stab Seven, which I love that part with Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell, when yes. Anna Paquin's just, you know, railing on the death of modern horror and, 
and Kristen Bell just stabs her and is like, shut up and watch the movie. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, we've all been there. <laughs> yep. I, I know those people too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be very careful who I watch my horror movies around, it turns out. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> And uh, and then you know then we get the actual beginning of the movie, um, which is great. And I do I was a big fan of Friday Night Lights, the TV series, and Amy T. Garden is the girl that is killed in the beginning of Scream Four, and she was the daughter of Coach on uh, Friday Night Lights, and I hated that character, so I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> When she got killed in Scream 4, because, I mean, my husband, when we went and saw it, I'm like, oh, it's Julie. <laughs> Please don't let her be in the whole movie. Hey, she's gone. I know. I was like, yeah. But, of course, obviously, knowing Scream like I do, I'm like, okay, she's she's going to die. It's going to be fine. Like, I, I only have to put up with her for this little bit. But, yeah, I'm, that poor actress, Amy T. Garden, I'm sure is a lovely human being. But, man. I just don't like her. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've never seen Friday Night Lights, so I can't. I can't relate. Oh, but I, I yeah, your emotions shine through here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I I loved that show. Loved it. But oh yeah. So uh, talking about Scream. So we have that opening with those fake outs and then it's now Sydney's written a book about everything she's been through. She's returned to Woodsboro. And this is like, this is the best for Dewey, right? Like Dewey in this movie, I feel like has really got the good because he's the sheriff. Him and Gail are married and happy. Gail's struggling a little bit. But Dewey's kind of on this high. We get the uh, introduction of Deputy Judy. And her lemon squares. That taste like ass. <laughs> Such an easy, good running joke. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I did love uh, the Allison Brie character, Sydney's publicist, that is, you know, she's killed in the parking garage. Uh, because they kind of do a little bit of a, a, a red herring with her that... Right. Maybe she's orchestrating this for the publicity to, you know, to help Sid's book. But no, it's not that, you know, the reveal. Fake out star power at the beginning of Scream mm-hmm. 4. Like lots, mm-hmm. lots of big name actresses and actors that could mm-hmm. have done something. Oh, oh, there they go. No, they do. That's true. Because like uh, with Amy T. Garden, and then you have Britt Robertson at the beginning and, um Oh God, I just, you know, like we talked with the Kirby character, she's so great. And then, you know, again, the the shitty boyfriend, Trevor, uh, which is reasonable, again, for us to think that maybe he's the killer, given what we've known. Uh, and that is one of my favorite Kirby lines when she's trying to, like, make out with Charlie and <laughs> Trevor, like, interrupts. And, Who invited you, Trevor? I just... God, I love that line. I don't know anybody named Trevor in my life. It's probably best because I would just be yelling at that person all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Like, it's my second favorite line in the Scream series. My first is obviously Stu 
in part one. You fucking hit me with the phone, you dick. <laughs> I love that line. I do yell that a lot at random times for no reason. Nobody ever throws a phone at me, but it is a good one. Too. <laughs> oh, man. But um, yeah, for the, uh, yeah, the reveal of Emma Roberts is like the, the Sydney's cousin who just also wants to be famous and just feels like this isn't fair. Um, not that Sydney asked for it, but you know, she's like, this isn't fair. I had to grow up in this family with you as my cousin and sort of all the, the fame that surrounded Sydney or infamy that surrounded Sydney. And, and she's wanting that too. And I like that there's sort of, you think it's going to be at that party at Kirby's house, but then it's not, you kind of get this final act in the hospital because that's I think the first time we feel like Sydney and or Gail are in some real danger I think that was the first time I felt like one they were really going to do it they were going to kill off one of them yes yeah and when Amber Roberts is doing her like stalking down the down the hospital hallway yeah gonna go finish one of them then it's just a question of who from our perspective and it's yeah right yeah and I think that's a great you know when 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 Gail says clear and she's like clear what does that mean and you know Sydney comes up with those paddles and hits her it's oh it's awesome and again sort of adding this layer of of Sydney and Gail's connection of of two people that don't really like each other wouldn't necessarily be connected but they have this (laughs) this ongoing history of trauma that putting them together yeah yeah Speaking of final lines, um, we've already talked a little bit about Scream 5, so I don't, I don't want to dive too deep into that because we've already talked about mm-hmm. Dewey's death and some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But the one part of that movie that fell so, so, so flat for me was when Sam jumps up at the end and her, her line is, new rule don't mess with the daughter of that serial killer and it's just so wordy and it's yeah nobody edited that line down for her yeah (laughs) (laughs) like no nobody on the script looked at that and was like we could pay we can make this more punchy like you you go from clear in scream four yeah a dissertation yeah yeah don't mess with the daughter of a serial killer Uh, okay (laughs) okay well and i feel like that's a pretty clear rule anyhow but (laughs) yeah um i think with five like there's some parts about five like you know like we we already mentioned like it's it's commentary on like fandom and toxic fandom and how and you know we've already talked about how passionate we as horror fans get and how personal it becomes and you know the the beats of like I love Mindy the introduction of Mindy and Chad as Randy's niece and nephew mm-hmm. um, and Mindy now serving as like the new Randy with the new rules and like her whole scene of like it's a requel it's paying yes. homage to the legacy characters while introducing new ones you know and everybody there were just confused some confused about that is great too like, yeah like is it like what are you talking about Right, right. And she has almost like, it's almost like the exact same moment of Randy in Scream 1 when he's like, you don't know the rules and like freaks out. She does sort of the same thing. Um, 
I love at the beginning with the uh, the stalking of Tara in you know the opening scene uh, with Tara talking about elevated horror, yes. which is a term I don't like um, because you know I and I have a lot of friends who say this they were like well I don't like horror but then I always have to I I see a movie I think they'll like and Tara mentions this one the Babadook which I think is a fantastic horror movie uh that yeah I think elevated horrors become the term you kind of have to to sandwich to people to get them to get to convince them to watch a horror movie because they think it's gonna be something really scary and terrible and it's like okay well it is, but the Babadook is is different than that. This isn't. I, I think. I think what happens is is people think horror. They think slasher, so they're like, I don't want to see a lot of blood and gore. And it's like, well, no, this is horror, sort of in a different way. So then we have that term, elevated horror, which is just uh, no. It's a horror movie. It's okay, <laughs> but. Um, I, I love that, but my biggest problem, honestly, with Scream Five, is the Sam character. Yeah, and I, I think you know, obviously, Sydney is is very important and special to me, but I could not, I just couldn't connect with with Sam, and the whole, you know, it's kind of cool to see Pete Ulrich again. I think the. Uh, whatever cgi magic they tried to work on him to make him look like he did 25 years ago was was a bit rough um yep but uh they they clouded a lot of it and this is a reflection in a car mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm. didn't get it quite right yeah and uh yeah <laughs> yeah and so kind of bringing that in but yeah i just i really really had a hard time connecting with with her to be the new Sydney and it felt like you did too yeah a little bit so that that was going to be my my kind of closing question for the screen oh okay how do you how do you feel about Sam and Tara taking the reins of the franchise moving forward and I I'm kind of torn because mm -hmm. I do think it's time to move on from Gail sure. and Dewey. Like they, sure. they, they have gone through hell and back at different mm -hmm. times and like, let them, let them rest. But I hate the way that it's happening. Mm -hmm. I don't like the fact that they lowballed Neve Campbell out of the, out of the franchise. That's how you do that. Yeah. I don't yeah. love Sam as the replacement. I think mm -hmm. that I'm I'm going to be a killer now aspect of it is maybe not the most tasteful way to go about this franchise that's been trying to mm -hmm. like make the killers the bad guys um, mm -hmm. and, and retconning Skeet Ulrich to not be as villainous felt weird to me that there's just a mm -hmm. lot of things about how they're approaching it that I don't know just just are hitting me the wrong way even though I do think it's yeah, something, like, something like this. No, I, I agree. Like, okay, we're gonna, you know, um, yeah, like, let's, let, let Sid and Gail just like, you know, let Gail host her 
fifth hour today show or whatever it was. And, you know, uh, Sydney just be with, now I did love in five that it mentioned that Sydney was married to Mark, who is the detective from three. Did you catch that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, she mentions his names a couple of, like somebody's like, how's Mark? And she's like, Mark's going to, you know, Mark's at home with the kids. I was trying to do this. And Mark is the detective from part three. So that means Sydney found her happiness with um, Patrick Dempsey. Um, So I I like that. She couldn't, yeah, if she couldn't be with Derek and she winds up with McDreamy, I think, I guess that's okay. Um, But I, I like Tara. I think Jenna Ortega is a really great actress. Like the some of the pre-shots we've seen of, of Wednesday, the Adams family stuff that Netflix is coming out with, with her. And, um, I really like the series you and she's in, uh, season two of you, the Penn Badgley series on Netflix. Um, so I think she's got potential there. And if it was just Tara, I think I'd be okay. Uh, but I just, yeah couldn't buy into Sam and then this weird like you said Billy uh, Billy not being as psychotic as as you know <laughs> he was in the first I, I, place I but, like Stu a second ago but yeah Billy like it, yeah yeah I don't I don't know I don't yeah really. and I know fans are really wanting uh because Matthew Lillard's just such a personality and so great, you know, I know fans are really clamoring for somehow a resurrection of Stu. And I, I, I just don't know how you do that. Like, you know, it was a TV on his head and he'd been stabbed a few times. I don't think he's coming back. I'd been stabbed a couple of times, but I think I also remember, I, I haven't noticed this myself, but somebody was saying, on a podcast I was listening to a while ago, it might have been the Necronomicon. I don't remember. Oh, um, yeah. Matthew Lillard like snuck into the back of a scene and screamed to somewhere. Like in one of the parties, you can see him hanging out. So technically, there's sort of maybe some sort of a canonical way to build him back in. <laughs> yeah, there is. I'm sorry, my earbuds died, so I missed. I missed what you said there. So yeah, Stu is. Uh, Sue is in the background of the, the, the sorority party that they go to. Yes, there it is. Yeah. Or, well, not Stu, Matthew Lillard is, so. <laughs> Who could be Stu? Who knows? Who could be Stu? Who um, had a twin brother we didn't mention. Twin twist. Yeah, yeah, the twin twist. Or, you know, I don't know, Kirby's uncle or, you know, who knows? <laughs> I just don't want a redemption arc for him, though. Like, if he's coming back, he needs to be the same crazy Stu that he was in the first movie. Right, right. No, because his motivations purely, like you said, you know, in one was just, it was fun. And, you know, I've seen some stuff online, and I think this is kind of a a fun exploration that there's sort of this, like, sort of homoerotic Mm -hmm. uh, uh, subtext between the relationship of of Billy and Stu that is kind of interesting. Um, again horror fandom we're we're gonna find any thread we're gonna pull it that's right we're we're following it to the end yes (laughs) um 
Okay, so we can, uh, I think we're gonna circle back to this at the end because my closing okay. question is pitch a, pitch a meta slasher um, uh -huh. that you would wanna make. Um, and I, I know mine circles back to the screen movies and I think yours probably yes. will too. So yes. let's, let's table the movies for a second and move okay. into um, the series. Now, okay. you have not seen the Scream series, correct? I, no, I tried, when season one came out, I tried to watch it and I just could not connect with, with anything. And even in preparation this week, I tried to go back just to watch a couple of episodes and just, um, it didn't feel the same to me. So I couldn't connect. So I'm really um, interested to get your take and your thoughts on it because maybe that'll jazz me up enough that I'll go back and watch it. And we'll have to record another episode where we just talk about the TV show. I'd be <laughs> um, well, so, okay, straight out of the gates, the, the TV series is made by MTV. So it's going to have right. a very different energy to it than mm -hmm. anything else uh, we're, we're looking at or talking about. It's going to be very teenager heavy. It's going to be very like, uh, put the drama with the kids first. Um, there's a lot of plot lines about um, characters grappling with their sexuality and things like that. Like the, the stuff that MTV really makes its money on nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, but wrapped around all of that, I think it does give us three decent scream stories. Um, so... In the first one, we've got, let me make sure I get the name right here, Brandon James. Um, mm -hmm. the, there is this mystery surrounding a guy that was going on a killing spree and got murdered and fell into the lake a couple of years ago. And um, he, he always wore a mask when he was doing this stuff. So it's the, it's the new scream mask. It's mm -hmm. almost ghost face, but distorted enough that it's it's clearly its own new thing, which I think right. is a perfect parallel for the TV sure. series here. Sure. You can, you can recognize it, but it's also definitely doing its own thing. Um, I don't think it works as well as the movies do. So I'm not going to okay. try to hard sell you on going back and watching it. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I think even the TV show itself knows why it doesn't work. So let me read you a quote here from, from one of the characters in it's either episode one or two. Um, his name is Noah, and this character is basically the new Randy. And okay. all of the other stuff that the show does right and wrong. I loved Noah. Noah was fantastic. Uh, you got to meet him a lot more in depth than we ever got to meet Randy. Um, he got to flex his horror fandom a lot more than Randy ever did. I, I, I connected with him a lot, but okay. they're drunk at a party. It's the same setup as Scream 1, and everybody's asking him how to survive this because they've realized, like, okay, he's the horror junkie. This is now a horror movie. What do we do here? Right. Um, where is it? Okay, so he says, so the slasher burns bright and fast. It could never work as a TV show because once that first body is found, it's only a matter of time before the bloodbath. So stay close, survive the night. Don't, don't leave the group. Um, do you agree with just kind of that premise that if it's a slasher movie, it has to be short, quick, and full of guts? Like you don't have time to kind of drag this out? Well, I think I agree with him, yeah. That, that once the, you know, in, in the Scream movies, to, you know comparatively once 
you know, like in Scream 1, once the murders of Casey and Steve happen, now it's it's all fast forwarding to that final act of the party. Now, that being said, I think maybe, and this is why I was intrigued by the idea of a, a Scream TV series, because they're mysteries, it, they do have a little room to breathe. Like, you know, like, let's say if we took Scream 1, you know, and we did sort of the events leading up to the murder of Maureen Prescott, you could make like a mini series out of that, right? Like you could fall, you could introduce Maureen and Sydney and the family in this town of Woodsboro and some of the things going on and then lead up to the murder. So there's some, um, a little room to breathe within the Scream franchise in particular, but um, I, I don't think it does work very well within the slasher genre, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I, I'm thinking, and there are a lot of one season TV mysteries that are done really mm-hmm. well, like Mayor of Easttown, True Detective, yeah. all those are jumping Right, out. right. You replace a gun with a knife, you've got a slasher and like, right. we could do this. But yeah. um, as far as a meta slasher is concerned, I think it's really hard to mm-hmm. elongate that trick more mm-hmm. than episodes or more than a single storyline in a movie yeah um yeah the the noah character can only explain what's happening so many times before it starts to feel redundant you can only have so many red herrings pop up uh, before somebody needs to call bullshit on it and start Mm -hmm. following the real trail right Um, and i thought the the scream tv series just didn't do the best job of handling that and there's a lot of dead time in the series as you're watching. There's a lot of filler mm-hmm. that, like, they did not need this side side plot. They did not need to go off on this route. Um, how many how many episodes was the seasons? Was it like? I mean, I know you said it was on in TV. So was it like a like 10, 12 It was ten thing? or twelve somewhere right in there. Let me look at oh, the exact number. I I just pulled it up. Um, first season had ten. The second season had 14 and the third season had six. Okay. All right. So that makes sense. So, and the so first season's good season. and fine. The second season, not so much. And then the third season gets better again. And that might be a symptom of those, those episode counts. Yeah. Because um, the second season, it, it's not even doing its own thing. It's a continuation of the first season with the same okay. characters. Like whoever survived is still in season two. Um, and it just really feels like they've they've run the course with what they were trying to do there, and they're just dragging okay. it out. Yeah. Um, but as the counterpunch to that, um, if we've got six movies in the Scream franchise and we've got thirty something episodes of the TV series, um, the other thing we wanted to talk about today was uh, Stephen Graham Jones's book, My Heart Is a Chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Um, so I adore this book for so many reasons um but let me let me let you start off with it um what what is kind of your take on this book um I know you haven't finished it yet so um yeah I am (laughs) I am the world's slowest reader um so I uh have but I I I am liking this setup so far of um, 
especially the opening of the book with the Swedish tourists who kind of, you know, it's, 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 um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but it's sort of similar to, to Scream, right? You kind of have this opening horrific event between these two tourists that then kind of, I feel like now you're going to tee up for the rest of the book, what's happening in this town and, um, the introduction of, of Jade, who is, um, not only your final girl, but now she's the narrator of this story, right? Well, yes. I mean, it's not first person, but. So, yeah, okay. so Jade, Jade is our Randy or Jade is our Noah for. Okay, okay. He is the ultra nerd. And as you're reading through it, uh, it, each chapter is kind of divided by these essays that she wrote for her history teacher explaining the history of slashers to the teacher. Okay. Extra credit okay. assignment. So she she establishes her horror cred in spades as we're going through this thing. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, you're right. That there's that there's that inciting kill in the lake with these two mm -hmm. Swedish tourists. And um, am I okay to spoil it? Yeah. No. Go ahead. It's 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 absolutely fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that there's the inciting kill with the tourists, and then the the big kind of division that's going on in the town right now and the big mystery behind it is there is this very rich very affluent society uh neighborhood being built on the opposite side of the lake from where jade lives and where people aren't quite as well off like it, it's the poor side of town versus the rich side of town mm -hmm. so all of these rich kids start pouring into the school and then people start showing up dead so there's this big question of who's doing the killings uh, that they deflect and, oh, it just must be some big bear. Some bear showed up and mauled all these kids. Uh -huh. You're mm -hmm. finding and stuff like that. Um, and Jade is the person in the middle of all of it going, no, I've seen so many slasher movies. This is the start of a slasher. Right. She's, she's got the phone from the two Swedish kids. Um, and she's she's recognizing that as the inciting incident like mm -hmm. this is this is act one we're getting into act two here um, and she's found one of these girls that's come over uh, with the rich part of society um, that she has pegged as the final girl she is athletic she is smart she is nice to everybody um, as far as Jade can tell she's a virgin like she's going through the checklist okay. all the things we're supposed okay. to look for and she's like that's the final girl and I have to protect her throughout this whole thing but then then they just they spend the whole book playing off of all of the horror tropes that we love and just being as meta as possible about it like there is a camp nearby called Camp Blood yeah uh, where there were where there were murders a long time ago and it's clearly Friday the 13th and we know that once she goes to that camp you know shit's gonna go down Sure. Uh, and there's there's the the big party that happens a couple a couple chapters in and she's like don't go to the party <laughs> go to the party everyone's right. gonna start dying and she starts telling the police officer this and he doesn't believe her because she's crazy right and then not to not to give up the whole trick but Stephen Graham Jones plays through that narrative exactly the way you would expect it to until act three when everything okay. gets turned completely on its head and he he takes the fact that we know the rules of a slasher and the fact that we feel so comfortable with here's the beat points that are coming up and the fact that jade feels so comfortable with here's the beat points that are coming up and he just completely kneecaps jade and the readers and everybody else by saying you were wrong about 100 of this 
and Jade has to pivot into this completely different realm of happenings uh, than, than what she was expecting. Okay. And it's it really exciting. I hate when I'm watching a movie or I'm reading a book and I know how the third act's going to play out. Like, okay, sure. um, they're, they're going to, I don't know, they're going to find the cure and start passing the cure out to people or right. um, the, the killer is going to show up at the, at the party and do all this stuff. Like at a certain mm-hmm. point, it gets kind of played out and he, he breaks the mold here and I love it so much. Okay, well, that's it. so. Then I guess then the question becomes so you know because we're talking about meta slashers across these mediums. So it sounds like within that book form, because there's a little bit of room to to breathe and play. Obviously, it sounds like you think it works really well. Where in the TV series, that room takes up too much. Right. In 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 the medium of a of a novel. Now we can try to figure, you know, it's like a good mystery sort of page turner, which that, you know, again, the Scream franchise is so good at at being that mystery that, yeah. And then to circumvent what we think we know, I think as horror fans, like you said, like it gets, I I think we get a little, we probably get a a little annoying to friends and people were like, oh, all right, I know it's going to happen here, you know, so I know. And I'm sure you're the same way, obviously, that when uh, when my friends and I find something that definitely surprises us and it it doesn't do what we think it's going to do, it's then we're just 100 percent in on on that thing. Yes. Um, And I think the book plays off of that, too, because there are portions of the book where Jade is just annoying. Like you do not like her for chapters of this book at a time give it a rest just do something normal for a second nope right. the slasher thing again um and it, it was funny because uh, that's i'm sure that's how people view me sometimes yeah, I know. yeah. like all stop, right let us watch the movie. Yeah. okay yeah yeah can you just shut up for a second and just let us know this <laughs> fine <laughs> all right well i will definitely get back to you when I finish it. And now, honestly, sometimes just getting a little bit of tidbits of where things are going kind of motivates me enough to get through. So I'll, I'll definitely be in touch when I finish it and we can have another conversation about it. Okay. I, 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 want, yeah. I want you to send me a message when you get to the oh shit moment. Okay. It's, it's clearly a moment, but okay. So, so uh, I am, I am sorry. I feel like I failed a little bit here as the, the meta slasher guest that I'm only, you know, two, two of the three, I kind of had a lot of opinions on. You carry on us the all the way through the Scream movies. So oh, okay. you're golden. <laughs> All right. So I want to, I want to end on these two questions and one of them I've already kind of pitched first question. So which of these mediums do you think is best suited to a meta slasher? If we're going to make a meta slasher needs to be the best meta slasher of all time. Mm -hmm. What do we make it in? Do we make a movie? Do we go for a TV series and try to get that right? Should we just stick with a book? Like, what are we doing here? I I think movie, I think movies are the way to go when it comes to the meta stuff, because I think there's so many examples that um, I had in my notes that I didn't bring up, you know, again, going back to our conversation a little bit earlier about why does horror tend to be more meta than other genres? Um, Because I think you have stuff like Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Is amazing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite 
movies and I think it just it plays on the tropes so well and and uh for the listeners that don't know what that is it's sort of a documentary style movie about a guy who wants to be a Freddy Jason kind of supernatural kind of killer and uh it's and it kind of shifts your view and in this documentary style of, of this question of the documentary crew that when uh the killings start happening how involved do they try to save people are they just documenting what's happening you know I mean the movie just plays on that so well um I think rubber have you seen rubber I've seen the trailer for rubber and I just can't wrap my head around it enough to oh man it is a weird little movie. Um, and this, I mean, it's, I don't even know if you call it meta, like it totally breaks the fourth wall. The, the opening scene is a guy telling you about, you know, like, hey, audience, welcome to this. This is what you're about to see. Um, and Rubber, again, for the listeners, is about a, uh, a tire that becomes sentient and just begins to terrorize like this little hotel in in New Mexico and it's just so I think it's just so wonderfully weird that you know for horror fans when we find something that's just again totally different nothing like nothing we've seen before it's it's uh but yeah that gets very meta and like I said sort of even beyond meta of uh that uh Tucker and Dale versus evil is uh so these are all kind of i feel like i'm mentioning horror comedies um but you know tucker and dale versus evil definitely makes fun of the cabin in the woods the rednecks or the the villains tropes um and i think that one i mean tucker and dale are just so (laughs) they're so earnest they just want their nice little vacation home and those college kids just really messed up their day um is just such a ace in the hole anytime he shows up in a movie mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're gonna love that character yeah yeah and um oh what else did I have on here oh uh final girls from a couple of years ago was good that was the uh Taisa Farmiga like gets thrown back in time her mom had been like a an actress who was in like a Friday the 13th kind of slasher and <clears throat> kind of goes back and that's very meta and stuff so you know the, again the horror franchise just offers a lot of meta uh movies that I think again going back to that quote from the screen tv series they burn so fast and bright that once you have that first kill you kind of gotta let the story go and and kind of resolve it pretty quickly you don't have a lot of room for <clears throat> excuse me for um filler um although it sounds like i mean i'd like to hear your take on it because it sounds like maybe in book form though that that filler uh with the case of my heart as a chainsaw kind of helps serve the story so with that i'm i'm not sure if it was the filler aspect of a novel i I feel Mm -hmm. that word right now filler but yeah no i don't have any negative connotation with that yeah Um, no i understand yeah the filler aspect of the novel, though, it could be severely mishandled 
Um, mm -hmm. I think the MTV series was kind of going on that route. But Stephen okay. Graham Jones is just a, such a master artist that he nailed it. I would be a little bit leery of reading another person trying to pull the same trick. Okay. Um, just because I, I don't know if everyone has the capability of pulling it off. Mm -hmm. like, pain. Mm -hmm. The pacing would be such a finicky thing to keep just right where that you're you're trying to piece it together but you're not frustrated that you haven't pieced it together quite yet mm -hmm. um, i i think graham has enough twists and turns built in and he's so good at doing it uh that you never get to that sense of frustration or that sense of boredom kind of like you did okay. in the tv series but okay. i think i'm with you i i like the movie aspect of it because you can go in and get an 85 90 minute movie Mm -hmm. um, and it, it can be literally all killer, no filler. Um, it can be a little bit self-reflective without growing too um, full of itself. Uh, you can right. take in a, enough jokes and enough references that people are kind of nodding their heads along with it and winking at the screen along with you. Um, but, but anytime you try to go longer than a movie, I think those can kind of get tiresome. Well, and if... I just had this thought because a meta horror movie, like you said, if it's 85, 90 minutes and it's not great, okay, but maybe there was some fun stuff in there, you know, but if it kind of falters, I, you're probably a little more forgiving than if you spent time reading a book or investing in a show, um, because then if it lost its thread, but, you know, if you see a bad meta slasher movie, and it was 80 minutes, you're not quite as like, you can, you know, probably walk away and be like, well, that was kind of fun. There were some fun parts to it, but maybe I won't see it in, again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, okay. So finally, the last question. Um, usually I ask this as just generically, if you were going to make a meta slasher, uh, what, what would be your pitch to any studio that was going to fund it with no notes or any publisher that was going to let you write it with no notes? Like what, what would your approach be? But since we're both so into Scream and since I do think Scream is one of the best possible examples of meta slashers, mm -hmm. just go with our best Scream pitch. Um, so if you are writing Scream six or seven, what are we doing here? <laughs> well, what I would, well, this is actually, and this kind of flies in the face of what Scream 5 was about, but this is what I wanted to happen in Scream 5. Okay. Um, I was convinced going into Scream 5, Dewey was going to be the killer. Okay. And I still, as much as I love Dewey, and I know this is a bit of a you know, hurting sort of the, the triune of, of Gail, Dewey, Sydney. But as I mentioned earlier, Dewey is such a tragic character that wouldn't it be interesting if we explored Dewey at this point in his life, he's dealing with the trauma that's happened, him and Gail are divorced, he's lost his job, which I think for men in some ways um a lot of their identity is wrapped up in the work that they do in their career and so he's lost his job which was a large part of his identity as being the deputy and then the sheriff of woodboro 
Sydney's obviously moved on. She's living her life. She's married. She has kids. Gail's moved away. The only time in my life I've been happy is with that when I'm with Sydney and Gail and we're solving these crimes. And this so, is a way to bring them back. So what if Dewey orchestrates it that the crimes begin to happen again as a way to get Sydney and Gail back to him and um, have him fulfilled or have some kind of purpose? Because I think Dewey, of those three main characters, Again, Dewey being the most tragic, I feel like that's sort of his, has been his purpose. Um, where Sydney, you know, was trying to grow up, going to college, has found these other things to heal. Gail was pretty well established from our introduction of her as being the reporter, that there were these lives for Sydney and Gail sort of beyond the events of Woodsboro. But, um, and Gail Dewey not leaving Woodsboro, um, I thought. So, because um, even, I mean, man, even when I went to see the movie, even sort of realizing it was going to be Jack Quaid and Amber, um, I can't remember the Jack Quaid character. So I'm just Me neither. Um, was it Richie? That sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, He's just I, from the boys for me. Yeah, I just, (laughs) boys is so good. Um, He's still, uh, you know, because like they had the whole thing on the poster, the tagline, the killers on the poster. Mm -hmm. And on that first poster, Dewey was sort of in the center. And so, again, the horror fans that we are just analyzing every little corner and piece of the, the puzzle, you know, I was like, it's Dewey. And so then I kind of started having this thought. So that's sort of my pitch. Like, wouldn't it be interesting? I mean, obviously we can't do it now. Dewey's gone. Um, But wouldn't it have been interesting if that was the route they took um, for Dewey? I love it. Uh, Thank you. Because everybody, everybody doesn't get a happy ending. And they mm-hmm. circling back to these happy endings with everybody in all the screen movies. So that would have finally had a domino fall or not a happy ending for everybody, but a happy right. ending for the big three. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that would have finally fed some repercussions in there. And like that, then we get this big, big social commentary on trauma and not processing mm-hmm. trauma and the cyclical nature of just like abusive cycles and Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think yeah. there's been a lot that they did there. Yeah. And doesn't that um because I did read some stuff about my heart as a chainsaw, isn't that part of, of Jade's character arc too? Hasn't she been through some trauma? And so this is something she sort of clings to as a part of of healing or dealing with with the stuff she's gone through. Yes. Um okay. so she uh, again trying to trying to be careful with how much I spoil here and where sure. <laughs> um, she had some big past trauma in her life. And okay. since that trauma, these horror movies have kind of been her way of a coping with that trauma, but mm-hmm. also be finding, finding a sense of purpose. Uh, it, you, you feel her as the book goes on feeling more and more confident. You see her uh, becoming more and more um 
feeling like she's doing something here. Whereas at the beginning of the book, she's not going to graduate high school. She's just kind of spinning her wheels in this town. She's got no Mm -hmm. direction. Um, But now that she's the expert on this thing and she's trying to save these people in the town, you kind of see her come up and so. Okay. um, Dewey, Dewey could kind of be the, the, the opposite example Mm -hmm. of that in your scream universe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what's your pitch? Okay. I know Kirby uh, will be heavily involved. I, I'm very, I'm very excited for somebody from uh, Miramax to reach out to me about this. Yes. Uh, Cause I, I will, I will help write it. I think one of the things uh, that's kind of gotten tired in the Scream franchise is that idea of every single movie is trying to figure out who the killer is. Mm-hmm. I think they've done that five times in a row. And I don't even think when you figure out who the killer is, that's always the greatest selling point. It's always the motivation. It's always trying to figure out why. So I think with Scream 7, and I'm just skipping 6 here, because I don't know what they're doing in 6. It's got Hayden. It doesn't have Neve. That's all I've got figured out. Let that play out. Okay. At the beginning of Scream 7, that opening shot, we see see Ghostface kill somebody that survived 6. Um, and at the very end, as they're going in for the last stab on them, the character reaches up and rips off the ghost face mask, and it's Sydney standing there. So very, very simple. All right. Okay. So then we've got Mac, uh, or we've got Sam, and we've got, is her name Tori? Jenna Ortega's character? Tara. 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 Uh, so we've got Sam and we've got Tara running around trying to figure out why is Sydney murdering people. Um, and by the end of the movie, it turns out it's not sydney killing everybody it's neve campbell um neve campbell the actress has gotten fed up with the direction that they are taking this franchise she doesn't like how long they've been dragging this out and how often they keep dragging sydney up so she has come into the movie verse come into the sets and she is actively killing these other actors and actresses to try to get it to stop finally at last all right i like it I think that leans into the uh, the meta-ness of the movie yes. in a like completely shattered fourth wall direction that we mm-hmm. don't really see outside of like the Deadpool movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that plays so well now into the fact that they wrote her out of Scream 6. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't pay her enough money. Like she's got right. anger. She, she's bound to be frustrated by that. Sure. Um, sure. So even if she as a human being isn't really frustrated enough to go kill everybody on set hopefully right crossed right um if they wrote that into a movie it it would kind of like click a little bit yeah but you could you could kind of go a little bit scream three with it with yeah much of this is a set versus how much of this is supposed to be in movie Mm -hmm. Um, it you you'd have to do it with a very fine-toothed comb you'd have to be very careful with how you kill everybody and where and why um because because the gimmick would be that she's not killing the characters, she's killing the actors right. while they're on the set. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I like it. I think that's interesting because then it kind of really brings it full circle back to, you know, I talked about New Nightmare earlier, mm-hmm. um, which that's, I mean, you know, people are like, oh, it's, it's Freddie. And like, they bring Robert England into it and stuff. And it, like I said, it turns out to be this demonic force, but that kind of plays into, um, and like you said, three, 
just this madness of what if we're on this set making this movie and um, we have this uh, heightened version of, of Nev Campbell to, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to play into it and stuff. I, I like it. All right, Miramax, you heard it here first. Get, get to it. tagline is Scream 7, kill the franchise. And yeah, stuff. yeah. yeah uh, but I, yeah. I want to do it. Uh, I want something, I want something like that. I want them to finally lean all the way into the meta horror aspect mm -hmm. of it whenever they try to try to bring this thing to a close. Well, and it freshens it up. Yeah, because it's one of those things, like even when they announced for me, um, especially now in, in, in this world that we live in without West, no longer, West Craven's no longer with us. Um, you know, I've been so skeptical of, you know, I was skeptical of four, but I really enjoyed it. And obviously that was the last one he directed. And then five, I was skeptical and I was like, okay. But then when they announced they were going to do six, I was like, okay, now we're getting into the cult of thorn area where. <laughs> how, how are they, how are they, bringing you know, anymore? <laughs> what, what are they going to, what are they going to do with this? Um, so we'll see now, you know, I'm saying all this, I'm going to see it. I'll be there. I'll, they're, they're getting my money. Like, <laughs> um, but it is, yeah, I, I do think it's a weird choice that they lowballed her. And, uh, so it'll be interesting to see the direction they take. And if it is that they're going to move with the franchise in a different way, that's, that's fine. Um, but then it's going to be a hard sell with with Sam as that new Sydney. Is Courtney Cox coming back? I think so. So so we're going to have Gail, but nobody else. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Courtney Cox will according to Wikipedia. Okay. So <laughs> take that for what it is. Uh, yeah. But it's Melissa Barra, who was the Sam character, Jasmine Savoy Brown, and Mesa Gooding, who were the twins. That was Mindy and Ricky. The and they were uh, great. I love. They were great. Keep and, them um, as long as they want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jasmine Savoy Brown, I really like. She was in um, Yellow Jackets, which I love. Yeah, and man, she was just yeah. Yellow Jackets, in and of itself, is like one of the best things on TV. We can we can talk about that another time. If you have a Yellow Jackets episode, I'll come on for that. Yes, I I want one. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I My uh, for this season, a uh, where did we land style episode? Yeah. So maybe season. Yeah, because my uh, because after I watched Yellow Jackets, somebody I work with told me to watch The Wilds on Prime. Have you watched The Wilds? I haven't. So it's, it's become now weirdly my favorite subgenre of girls crashing on a deserted island and trying to survive and that's the premise and they're both very different so but let me know what you when you get to the wilds let me know what you think of it because it was oh i i was into it i really liked sort of the directions it took so, awesome so we've yeah. we've got our first hook for season two yeah <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah uh, well we are we are well past the time that we usually shoot for this is going to be the two hour long special yeah so uh i guess it's probably about time to wrap this up but uh one more time uh for our listeners at home where can they find you 
um, where should they interact? I, with you? Uh, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of social media, so I'm only on Twitter. So I am Shelly Grant. I am at Shelly BS Movies. I'm also at Cinesirens. And I host the BS Movies, co-host the BS Movies podcast in Cinesiren. So um, BS Movies, there's a lot of backlog. We've been doing this for almost six years at this point. Cinesirens, we have five episodes out, so you can easily catch up on those. And <laughs> yep. But please uh, give us a listen and like and subscribe and all that good fun stuff. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, that just about wraps us up for this episode. To everybody listening, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, please don't forget to like, or subscribe, or become the killer for your very own streaming service of choice. And we will see you next time. I'm William Sterling, and this has been another episode of the Killer Mediums Podcast. Coroners tied bells to everybody in the morgue, so if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. Mm -hmm.